uh, KSKJ building, radio essay. At its heart, Joliet, Illinois is a town with a 19th century face, largely one of Joliet limestone. Rough, weathered. Not easily carved or smoothed by man, but effectively scarred by time and seasons. Yet it was a very popular building material in Northeast Illinois during the 1800s. It is a very particular kind of dolomitic limestone, softer, pale creamy yellow from iron oxidation, with more tendency to flake than the durable gray or buff Bedford limestone from Indiana, the one that architects and builders prefer today. Because of this, Joliet limestone is best suited to building designs that have a rusticated exterior. In Joliet, there are a lot of rusticated exteriors. There is one building, however, different from its aging yellowed forebears. Streamlined, smooth, an Art Deco jewel box slipped in among exemplars of Gothic Revival, Richardsonian Romanesque, and early 20th century industrial brick. It is the color of wet sand with a slightly ruddy undertone. Its windows are lined with black like Cleopatra's eyes with coal. It is as obvious and contrary, as intriguing a counterpoint to its surroundings as the beauty mark on Cindy Crawford's face. It is the KSKJ building on Chicago Street, and it has a story to tell. Once the headquarters for a Slovenian benefit society, it is now home to an order of Hispanic Catholic nuns and the daycare service they operate. That's a story for another day. This story is about the man who designed the KSKJ building and the elusive woman behind him. Local son and architect Charles L. Wallace and his sister and colleague Elizabeth Wallace, one of the first women to become a licensed architect in Illinois and a forgotten pioneer among women professionals. Our story begins with their grandparents. Thomas Wallace and his wife Esther Hagerty were Irish immigrants who settled first in Chambly, Quebec, where their son Bernard was born in 1833. They then came to Joliet around 1846, probably to work on the Illinois and Michigan Canal, which was still two years to completion at that time. In all, Thomas and Esther raised six children in Joliet and survived into the late 1800s. In 1857, the grown Bernard Wallace married Catherine Walsh, also a Canadian, in Joliet's St. Patrick Church. Ironically, this was an Irish parish for which the young Charles Wallace would later design a new church building. Bernard and Catherine, in turn, also had six children. Charles Leo was the fourth child and the fourth son. The only siblings who were younger than he were his two sisters, Mary Ellen, called Ella, and Elizabeth, who was the youngest. Charles attended high school in Joliet and from there went on to train as an apprentice in an established architectural firm. Back then, it wasn't unusual to learn architecture on the job rather than in college. In that respect, Wallace was in good company. That was how Daniel Burnham learned. He apprenticed himself to the father of the skyscraper and the Chicago School of Architecture, William LeBaron Jenny. Charles Wallace was nowhere near that lucky. He must have apprenticed with a local firm. Early in his career, Charles did work within the firm of Hohen and Webster, 
later Hohen, Webster, and Wallace, before forming his own practice. Nothing is known about Elizabeth's education and training, yet she must have attended high school and apprenticed just as her brother did. The family wasn't wealthy enough to send either of them to university, and without an apprenticeship, she wouldn't have been granted an architectural license. It's even possible that she apprenticed at Hohen, Webster, and Wallace before Charles left to start his own firm. Theirs was the first brother and sister architectural practice in Joliet, possibly in the state. Elizabeth wasn't the first woman to practice architecture in Illinois. That honor went to Sophia Hayden, the first woman architect to graduate from MIT, who also designed the women's building for the night who also designed the women's building for the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, for which Daniel Burnham was the director of construction. Nor was Miss Wallace the first woman architect licensed in Illinois. That was Marion Lucy Mahoney, the second woman to graduate MIT with an architecture degree, and the wife of William Burley Griffin, with whom she worked in the Chicago offices of, get this, Frank Lloyd Wright. Lucky gal. Elizabeth Wallace was the first woman architect to practice in Joliet. That we know. She and Charles were the first listed together in the city directory in 1899. We know that much from a carefully researched history in the NRHP registration form for the Upper Bluff Historical District in Joliet. Charles and Elizabeth were two of nine architects working in Joliet at that time. He, who had begun his career three years earlier, would have been 28 that year, she in her early to mid-20s. She was still part of that firm 25 years later. A 1924 company Christmas card sent to clients listed E.B. Wallace Architect in the Joliet office and Charles's son, Joseph Wallace Engineer, in the Chicago office. More is known about Charles, possibly because he was a man, but certainly because he was the public face of his and Elizabeth's firm. The firm was responsible for more than 100 building designs in Joliet and a smattering of others elsewhere. Charles specialized in commercial architecture, mostly schools and other public buildings. The earliest independent project attributed to him by at least one source is the 1906 St. Mary Nativity Catholic Church in Joliet, then known as St. Mary Croatian. However, this isn't documented. He is credited, however, with designing the parish's school that same year. Before that, he had designed at least three local public schools while at Hohen, Webster, and Wallace. What did Elizabeth specialize in, and what role did she play in his practice? Which designs were hers? Did she speak with clients and have her own commissions, or was she just her brother's flunky, with all the credit going to Charles? Excellent questions but we have no answers. Where the firm's records went when Charles retired is anyone's guess. Because he was head of the firm, his name was on the door. And very little is known about Elizabeth's designs or her commissions, if any. Virtually nothing is known about her possible influence on or contributions to her brother's work. Indeed, it would be difficult to tell which designs were Elizabeth's and which were her brother's without looking at the blueprints, which is an extreme unlikelihood given the current state of the building department records in Joliet's financially strapped city government.
Still, there are tantalizing hints about two of the firm's projects. One completed just before the 1929 stock market crash. The other, toward the end of the Great Depression, which halted nearly all building projects. Though his work was never a match for the likes of the Chicago School of Architecture, whose members both outshone and outnumbered him, Charles Wallace was able to get half a dozen church projects in Chicago and a school or two. His lack of commercial work there may have been due to a somewhat limited style. Until 1928, the overwhelming majority of his projects and all of his churches had been built in plain brick, plain brown brick. That changed when his firm was awarded a church commission around 1926. It was a multi-building project that would take at least two years to finish. In November of 1928, what is probably Wallace's best-known building was completed. St. Viator Catholic Church on Addison Street near Pulaski Road on Chicago's northwest side. No longer did he build in proletarian brown brick or in the clunky, squarish, Tudor Gothic style he'd used for most of his previous ecclesiastical designs. Instead, St. Viator's rose sleek and pale gray toward the sky, a refined vision of English Gothic executed in Bedford limestone, the same material used for the ubiquitous Chicago graystones. Did Elizabeth's influence cause this dramatic change? Was it a local Chicago preference or the client's request for Bedford stone? Or was Wallace's style finally evolving into a more graceful one? Nobody living seems to know, and reliable records are absent. But this was a great departure for Wallace. Besides, another church project designed and built by the practice during those very same years, St. Margaret of Scotland on Chicago's south side, was once again built in ugly brown brick. And here we need to backtrack a little to understand why Elizabeth might have had a hand in St. Viator's. In 1907, Charles and Elizabeth had built nearly identical homes next door to each other in what is now the Upper Bluff Historic District. They were in the American Foursquare style, a plainer variation of the Prairie style. The district is listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and the two Wallace homes are included among the two or three hundred historic buildings. But only the Charles Wallace House at 709 Campbell was designated a local landmark. The Elizabeth Wallace House at 711 Campbell was ignored by the locals. Elizabeth lived there with their mother Catherine and sister Ella, a teacher, until Catherine died in 1915. The skimpy family history, written by Charles's granddaughter, Sister Mary Angela Wallace, says that the house was sold after Catherine died, and that Ella then moved to the south side of Chicago, where she continued to teach. Yet it wasn't until Ella retired years later that Elizabeth left Joliet and moved to the north side of Chicago, taking Ella with her. If Elizabeth's house was sold in 1915, where was she living for the next nine or ten years? We know she was still part of the practice until at least the end of 1924, possibly longer. She couldn't have been living with Charles and Julia. With three sons, they had a full house. 
When Elizabeth moved to Chicago after 1924, she might still have practiced architecture there, if only to support herself. And if she did, was she working out of Charles' Chicago office or on her own? Again, nobody knows. Her own grandniece didn't see fit to write more than three sentences about Aunt Liddy in the family history, and even one of those three sentences contained an error. Trust family to get it wrong. Elizabeth never worked in a major architectural firm in Chicago, that much is certain. More than a decade ago, architect Stanley Tigerman and eight of his colleagues assembled a meticulously detailed genealogy of Chicago architectural firms from the early 1800s through 1993. In it are listed all the members of the different firms during different years so that you can see who began where and who migrated to other firms before starting his or her own practice. Elizabeth Wallace would have been a rarity during the 1920s. If she had worked for one of the major firms, someone would have noticed, and her name would have been in the genealogy. It wasn't. Then again, neither was her brother's. Not one of his buildings outside of Joliet ever made it to landmark status, let alone got the attention of the AIA or architectural historians. And if Charles was merely a footnote in architectural history, Elizabeth was an asterisk. And yet. Planning for St. Viator and its side buildings began in late 1925 or early 1926. Elizabeth would still have been alive at the time and probably living on the north side of Chicago. With Charles and Joliet, she would have been the logical choice to oversee the construction. Unless, of course, she wasn't speaking to him by then. A rumor persists, unconfirmed, that when Elizabeth moved to Chicago, it was after she and Charles had had a major disagreement of some kind. Perhaps she was tired of not getting recognition for her work. St. Viator Church and the matching parish buildings that bookended were Charles Wallace's crowning achievement, still admired today. They were also his last commission before the Depression-induced halt in construction began. So by the time the KSKJ directors approached him a decade later in 1938, Wallace had already worked in stone and not in Tudor Gothic. The KSKJ building was a guaranteed standout. What Charles Wallace created for the Benefit Society was a three-story building with a trim facade executed in sandstone, not Joliet limestone. That alone would have set the building apart, but the Art Deco style would trump that. Only a tiny handful of Art Deco buildings were ever built in Joliet, and two survive. The Public Service Building in downtown Joliet, and the KSKJ Building half a mile north in Slovenian Row. Both St. Viator and the KSKJ Building were vastly different than anything Wallace had ever done before. It's only fair to speculate whether Elizabeth was the one who nudged him away from his previously bland style before she died, and that her posthumous influence might have made him go beyond his comfort zone for the KSKJ building. It was the only Art Deco building he is known to have designed, and the client never specified that, 
only that he produced something distinctive. It was that. The KSKJ building was also one of his last projects. By 1941, he was 70 years old, and his last years weren't kind to him. Wallace suffered from dementia for several years before his death. The KSKJ building, which opened for business on April 2, 1939, more than satisfied the client. The total cost was $125,000 in 1939 dollars, and that included all the equipment. Within 15 years, the building alone was worth more than twice that, about $300,000, according to an expert appraisal in 1954. KSKJ's directors wrote about it with pride in the Society's 60th anniversary booklet. Charles Wallace didn't know that. He had died on February 12, 1949, at the age of 77, survived by his wife Julia, three sons, two daughters-in-law, and four grandchildren. His obituary ran the following day on the front page of the Joliet Evening Herald, as befit a native son. Of his sister and professional partner Elizabeth, there was no mention. In fact, no obituary can be found for her, and find a grave which lists Charles's gravesite and those of several of his relatives doesn't even say when or where she died, or where Elizabeth is buried. A forgotten trailblazer, Elizabeth Wallace deserved better than that kind of obscurity. I like to think that clever researchers may one day yet rescue her from historical oblivion. Perhaps they'll even remember her when they pass by St. Viator's or the KSKJ building, the way I do. For the Illinois Geographical Society, this is Maria R. Traska.